Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Uh, unfortunately, Rocky's not going to be able to join me this time, but uh, he was able to join me for the Trial of the Amazons Part 4, as well as uh, War for Earth 3 Part 4. So those spotlights are up on his YouTube channel. You can go and check them out. They're also available audio only on the uh, regular Comic Source podcast channel as well. So hopefully you got a chance to check those out. But the rest of the books uh, that you see behind me, I'll have to be running solo on. And one other note, uh, you know, uh, we've talked a lot about the paper shortages and the, the problems with shipping and logistics and what have you. And at the last minute, Aquaman number two got moved from this week to next week. So it doesn't come out until March 29th. So if you're looking forward to Aquaman, don't think it's going to be at your comic shops this week, but it should be there next week. But there's plenty of other books to talk about, 10 other books, uh, 12 in total DC books coming out this week. But again, if you're looking for thoughts on War on Earth 3, which is the Teen Titans Academy this week, Teen Titans Academy issue, that's on its own spotlight, as well as the Wonder Girl Trial of the Amazons number one of two, which was Rocky and I both thought was the best Wonder Girl issue that had come out so far even though it technically isn't her series anymore because her series got canceled. But be that as it may, written by Joelle Jones, beautiful art by Joelle Jones, and, and well worth your time. So let me go ahead and share my screen with you all so you can see the first book I'm going to talk about. should be able to see it there. It's Deathstroke Incorporated, number seven. This is written by Joshua Williamson. Steven Segovia does the art. Hi-Fi is on the colors. Steve Wands on letters. Uh, really interesting issue. Um, says Family Reunion right there. We talked last time about how Respawn had showed his face to Rose Wilson, Slade Wilson's daughter, Deathstroke's daughter, wondering, Ravager is her code name. And I thought, yeah, it's got to be uh, his son, Garrett, who has died previously, brought back to life. And that's got to be why uh, she made the face she made and, you know, Respawn, because Garrett has, you know, spawned again or in some way has come back from the dead. So that was my thinking. That was my, that was my theory. So it's not exactly that. It's something in a way um, a little less cliched and a little more interesting, I think, but how it'll all play out remains to be seen. And it's also interesting because in a way, it's pulling from something Christopher Priest did a while back, which I find really, really interesting. So uh, you see the regular cover there. Well, let me give the, the credits first. Oh, I didn't already, but I didn't give the credits for the cover. So the regular cover there by uh, Howard Porter 
And then there's a couple of variants. First one's by Ivan Dow. I think it's how you would say the name. Let me, I guess I have to click here. Yeah, really cool looking cover there with uh, Ravager on a motorcycle with uh, Deathstroke. And then there's a third cover, which is by Aki Bright is the, the ratio cover. So not quite as interesting, but uh, you have it there if that's your choice. But uh, anyway, uh, Ravager and uh, Respawn do confront Slade Wilson. And uh, to make a long story short, Slade unmasks him uh, because he's assuming that it's Damien or a clone of Damien in some way and responds like, no, it's not who you think it is. And Respawn is kind of trying to come in between Slade and Rose as they're fighting. And Slade says, you know what, let's just solve this now. And he rips the mask off of Respawn. And it looks like Damien, but he has white hair. So it's clearly not Damien. So we learned from Rose that actually what's happened is Ra's al Ghul, while he was attempting to perfect Damien in a lot of ways um, or have a way to perhaps figure out how to heal Damien had something go, gone wrong, he actually took some of Slade's DNA, some of Slade's blood, and injected it into a clone of um, of Damien so that he would have the healing factor. And then whenever Damien needed a body part or skin graft or something like that, it was taken from, from Respawn. And then when Damien ran away, it was the first time that um, anybody really cared about this, about this kid, about this, this clone of Damien. So it was at that point when he, he finally stopped getting tortured, but then Roz left, Roz disappeared and nobody came to help him. And this kid, pretty brutal, he chewed through his own arm to escape. And then obviously with the healing factor like Slade has, he was able to escape, eventually made his way to Lazarus Island. He's had some training, but not a lot. And so that's really what he's asking for. He, he wants revenge on Ra's al Ghul. He wants revenge on, on Talia. And he figures Slade's the best way to get that. But Rose wants something different. She's like, we can be a family again. Yeah, this isn't Garrett, but you know, she still feels like there's hope for Slade. And obviously with what Slade has going on with leading the secret society, if I'm going to be a villain, I'm going to be, you know, the biggest villain I, I can be. And he saw something, you know, he mentions seeing something when he was working for trust, when he was partnered up with Black Canary, he's worried about what's coming. And he's like, Rose, I, I, I could use your help. She doesn't want to help. It, uh, Respawn actually sort of switches sides here. He ends up knocking Rose out of the building, throws her mask after her and says, all right, dad, you know, let, let's get to work. And Slade refers to Respawn as his son. So, you know, Christopher Priest had that Batman versus Slade event way back when DC Rebirth first started. And, you know, the conceit of it was, hey, Damien is actually Slade's son and not Bruce Wayne's son. So it's, it's kind of playing with that a little bit, but it's not quite the same. I mean, so basically Respawn is, is if you want to think about it, he's got three parents, right? He's got two fathers, Slade and Bruce Wayne genetically. Uh, and his mother is Talia. So, yeah, I mean, this guy's got good genes. This respawn character should should end up being a pretty good fighter and a pretty good detective, pretty good strategist. All those things, all th uh, all three of his parents have those uh, those traits. So I just hope he gets a better name and a better costume. But an interesting turn of events, and it, obviously this leads directly into uh, into the Shadow War, which is coming up next. So. Like I said, a pretty interesting twist. Uh, I'm certainly finding Deathstroke Incorporated more interesting now that we've gone away from the trust things. Uh, and, and what's interesting here is the Stephen Scovia art. Uh, it's not quite as kinetic as what we get from Howard Porter, but uh, and it's not quite as polished as what you normally would expect from Stephen Scovia. Like I, when I started reading, I was like, man, who's this artist? 
I didn't even recognize it as Segovia. Usually his art is uh, a little more dynamic than this, but uh, it's still good art. The storytelling is very good. The colors are a little bit muted from Hi-Fi, which I, I found to be interesting as well. But again, this is just focusing on Slade and his family. We don't get any uh, traction, any forward momentum on the part of the story that deals with the secret society, other than Slade mentioning, hey, the you know, when Ravager asks him, hey, why are you doing this? He says, well, something really dark is coming. So that's, I'm assuming that is um, dark crisis that he's referring to. When we had Joshua Williamson on the show a couple of weeks ago, he did mention that if you look at Infinite Frontier leading to the Justice League incarnate, that's sort of the air forces, the air attack that uh, the powers of the great darkness are uh, putting together and the, the Deathstroke stuff, Robin stuff is sort of the ground forces. So yeah, expect Deathstroke, expect Robin to really tie into Dark Crisis going forward. So maybe Slade is not really turning villain like he claims to be. Um, even And like Joshua Williamson told us, right? Because um, one of the things he repeated a couple times when we had him on the show was how he likes to throw out hints and clues that aren't really true. He doesn't come right out and lie, but you know, he likes to mislead so people can be surprised. So maybe Slade is not going all bad here. Um, but I do like this family dynamic. I do like the idea of him um, having a son in, in a lot of ways and this son being respawn or seeing respawn as um, as his son. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. So uh, anyway, let's go ahead and move on to the next book that I'm going to talk about. Uh, it is Detective Comics number 1058. So this is written by Mariko Tamaki. We have Amon K. Nahalapan on art, Jordi Belair on colors, Ariana Mare on letters. And um, the main covers by Irvin Rodriguez, Lee Bermejo, and Jorge Fornes both had variant covers. And then, of course, there's the backup uh, House of Gotham which is written by Matthew Rosenberg. Fernando Blanco does the art for that. Jordi Belair on colors and Rob Lee on letters. So I have to admit that I've really been enjoying this Shadows of the Bat story, but I felt like this final issue, um, I don't want to say it was a disappointment, but it wasn't what I expected. And if you are expecting the final issue to wrap up the story, it doesn't. Um, in fact, what happens, if you remember at the end of issue 1057, it ended the, with the final page of Mayor Nakano's wife putting on the psycho pirate Medusa mask and saying something like, okay, what, what now? What's next? What, what, you know, what do I do? And then this issue opens up and much time has passed. It's a big time jump. And Deb Donovan, the reporter, is, is kind of narrating the events and telling us everything's over. Uh, apparently, Scarecrow was behind it. And, you know, talking about Dr. Tobias Ware, who wasn't really T Tobias Ware, who was some con man who stole the identity. Um, and then Batman and um, and Batwoman show up to talk to Deb Donovan. And there's some talk about how they kind of owe her. But again, it's not none of it is really made clear exactly what has has happened. We don't know what happened to Scarecrow. We know Tobias Ware died. We never even saw him get thrown out the window again. I mean, we saw the flash, uh, you know, the, the uh, first part of the story and then everything flashed back. And now we've gone forward even past kind of the end of the story. So it, it just feels like there's something missing here. Um, you know, we don't know how Psycho Pirate escaped. We don't know what happened to Scarecrow. So, again, it doesn't feel like a resolution in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know, Psycho Pirate's at some hotel outside of town and the Bat family tracks him down or so uh, they think. It turns out he's not there and it was all a setup and the Penguin's henchmen end up breaking in on who they think is a Psycho Pirate, but it's just Batman in disguise. And it was a, it was a setup all along. But what really happened to Psycho Pirate, we see later as he's walking through late at night, some alleys in Gotham City and Batman confronts him and he says, oh, you're, are you running away? And Psycho Pirate's like, well, I don't have any choice. And Batman says, well, what if there was? But that's it. Again, no resolution. We see Mayor Nakano's wife talking to her 
therapist, but again, no resolution. You know, Rocky even thought maybe we're going to get a new psycho pirate. No idea. Um, so there's so many questions left unanswered. We do see the mayor offer the Arkham Tower uh, to Chase, Dr. Chase Meridian. So she's going to be in charge of the tower. She's going to be the one running it going forward. That's a very good choice. It makes a lot of sense. But for the most part, we ended up getting a bunch of questions without answers. So I, I don't want to say that this was a, you know, a waste of time. I don't think I would go so far as to say that because it was really enjoyable, especially before Batman showed up and before Scarecrow showed up. But I sort of don't understand. So why, you know, I already had questions about why you brought Scarecrow back. And then we don't even know how Scarecrow gets defeated. Last we saw, he was on that rooftop, right? Don't know how he got defeated. Don't know how Psycho Pirate escaped. Don't know really that even the aftermath in a lot of ways. Uh, there's all these questions left to be answered. So I'm going to be really curious if people love this because the pacing and the structure and the story was so good. And I, I just don't understand this flash forward. This feels like we missed a chapter. Honestly, if I, I even went back, I'm like, I know I didn't miss an issue uh, because obviously we've covered them every week on, on the spotlights, but I still went back and, and double checked because this feels like an epilogue issue. This feels like the issue where, Oh, there's a few loose threads. Like you wonder, you know, what the fallout is, like how, what public opinion is or what Deb Donovan wrote about this event, like what's going to happen to Arkham Tower. It's still called Arkham Tower, too. You know, I was really hoping that that wouldn't be the case. Uh, they'd call it Pennyworth Tower or something like that. Like maybe we see the psycho pride slip away and then you wonder, oh, what happened to him? Oh, Batman tracks him down. Don't worry. Oh, the Penguin's henchmen got, got, uh, Pen got away. What happened to them? Oh, don't worry. The Bat family sets a trap for him and catches them. All this would be after the final chapter of the story. Where's the final chapter of the story? Instead, we skipped it. We skipped forward. Um, and I just, I don't understand. That being said, the uh, Amon K. Art Nahalapin, he did a fantastic job. This is his, his best art of the series so far. Um, really fine lines, really feels like he's uh, only gotten better as the series has gone on. I wouldn't even mind seeing him stay on uh, Detective based on the strengths of this issue. Like he really nailed it with this issue. Uh, a couple of the other issues inside, a little bit muddy um, with the, co the colors and the, the line work, I feel, but not this issue, not in any way, shape or form. So I got to give him his props for really stepping up um, in this issue. It just, again, I, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't think it's a failure of the, the strength of the story and it's still paced well. It's just, I, it's got, you know, it's an editorial decision. It's a, or uh, it was a creative decision from, from Mariko Tamaki to, to jump forward, skip a bunch of resolution and then come back. I got to think, okay, you're going to come back to it, I guess at some point or leave hints to it. I, I just rather would have had the end of the story, honestly. It's a little disappointing. Now, when it comes to the backup from Matthew Rosenberg, um, it's a resolution, but not really in the way that some people are going to like. I uh, personally, I liked it because it made sense with what was going on, as opposed to, again, the, the first story where it, there didn't seem to be a reason to have it jump forward like that. But with the backup story, the whole point of it was that this this guy that we were following throughout is unnamed, right? He even mentions he's he's the forgotten one. Nobody knows his name. And at the end of the story, he ends up confronting the penguin and the penguin kills him and just leaves him there in the sewers. And <laughs> Rocky did not like that. He's like, why did I read this? Now, don't get me wrong. I would have loved it. If this guy, and we, again, we don't know he's dead, it's comics, right? But he's laying face down in the water, in the sewer, bleeding, having been shot by the penguin. So take that for what you will. So had he become somebody important, another member of the rogues gallery, Batman's rogues gallery, Batman villain, I would have loved it. That would have been fantastic to see him evolve into something. But if not, I think there's still a lot to the story here, a lot that's powerful. So basically what happens is he uses his connections He's been living, you know, in the in the cracks, in the underground of, of Gotham City, but he's made a lot of connections on a lot of friends over the years through all the events that Matthew Rosenberg wove into the story. He manages to capture the Joker 
and he manages to capture Batman. These are the two men that were there the night that his parents were killed. His life was ruined. And so he confronts them both. You know, he says, Batman, you're going to watch me do what you should have done years ago. This guy, the Joker ruined my life, killed my parents. He's killed so many people and you, you won't do what needs to be done. Like think of all the lives that would have been saved. If you just would have taken out the Joker, you know, you have had so many chances and this is not exactly an original question, right? We've heard people in real life, you know, talk about, well, if Batman was really serious about saving lives. He would take out the Joker once and for all, but Batman, you know, he's like, we have to be better than that. Like we, our strength comes from what we do after we're affected by whatever the Joker does. Right. And he says, you've helped so many people, and you need to be around to do that. But if you kill the Joker, I can't let you walk away. I will find a way to, you know, to bring you in. And so he actually talks this unnamed guy out of killing the Joker. And that's when this guy goes and, and meets up with the penguin. And he tells the penguin, yeah, I, c- I couldn't do it. He's like, what do, you, what do you mean? And he explains, well, you know, I, he, first of all, he apologized to the penguin and, and says, you know, I, I feel bad for the, the way things went. You adopted me. You were the first one to show me kindness. And, you know, I'm sorry. I never got a chance to apologize, but there's a bigger story. Batman's helped me to see that there's more out there. I just, I need to continue to, to help myself, uh, to help myself and to help others. And the penguin's like, no, you, you don't get it. You don't matter. And this goes into that idea of this guy's an, uh, just an unnamed guy who has been through the ringer because he lives in Gotham City for no other reason than that. If he didn't live in Gotham City, parents wouldn't have died. None of this would have happened. And the Penguin says, he, he, you're a nobody. The world only cares about two types of people, the people with the power to rewrite history and those that are crazy enough to leave a mark on the world. And you're neither one of those. You're just a minor character. You're just a no-name. And then he kills him. So it's an it's a very interesting message from from Matthew Rosenberg that no matter how hard this guy tries, saying I'm trying to help people, I'm trying to forget the forgotten, I'm trying to help the forgotten ones, he is in the end a forgotten one, and just a name, another nameless victim, another person that's been chewed up and spit out by by Gotham City. So uh, even though he says this is my story, Penguin's like no. It's not. It never was. Um, so, again, take that for what you will. Some people might not like the end of the story. I thought it was interesting, but I get it if it you know isn't your particular cup of tea and you think, well, I wish he would have ended up being somebody important. Totally get it. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target. This is number six of seven, written by Brandon Thomas. Ronan Cliquet is the artist. Ulysses Ariel on cutter, Colors. Josh Reed on letters. So it appears with the uh, events and shenanigans that uh, Arthur and Bat, Arthur and Batman, Arthur and Ollie uh, performed last issue that they've managed to write the uh, time stream. They're back in their own bodies. They're back with their own history. Uh, Everything is, is right with the world again, or so one would think. But they're wondering why General Anderton is still in his lizard form, but there's also a human version of General Anderton. So clearly everything hasn't quite gotten back to, to normal. So there's more going on than, than meets the eye. And in fact, when the human version of General Anderton calls for um, a helicopter to come and uh, evacuate him, a giant sea monster, you know, dinosaur kind of thing comes leaping up out of the water and, uh, and tries to swallow him. So the, uh, the lizard version of, of Anderton uh, is, is trying to explain to Arthur, Hey, you know, even when we try to fix things, something slips the cracks. We're never quite sure why Arthur doesn't believe it. Ollie doesn't believe it. So they end up calling in, some reinforcements, they call in John Jones to do some uh, telepathy and figure out what 
each of these versions of general ander to know. And there's one issue left. And even though it feels like last issue could have been the end or this one could have been, been the end, there's a twist at the end of this one. And it seems like maybe Aquaman didn't exactly get returned to normal because he is back on the throne of Atlantis. And when Ollie goes to check on him, uh, our Aquaman calls him a threat to the safety and security of, of Atlantis. So yeah, not everything is, is put back the way it should be. And so there's still, there's still something to be uh, resolved here. So, you know, I, I think this, this series had a little bit of fits and starts when it got going, uh, took a little bit to, to kind of get to the meat of the story and really feel like the pacing of it and the, the structure of the story started to make sense. And, there were a couple of good character moments. The action has been ramped up throughout the art by Ronan Cliquet has been fantastic throughout. Now here at the end, we're getting a little bit of a mind twist on what might be going on. So I think this is one of those series that's going to read really, really well all together as, as, you know, a trade or, you know, seven issues at once. Uh, I don't know how well it's working as a, as a monthly. I mean, it's not like there's cliffhangers, but there is some intrigue and some mystery. But like I said, it 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 started off a little bumpy, uh, I would say. So I don't know how how many people stuck around for the ride, but it is a lot of fun. It is really cool ideas. Just when you think you know the answers, we get this flipped on its head. I'm a little. I have mixed feelings about that. I almost think it should have wrapped up with the sixth issue, and we shouldn't necessarily have one more twist, but. I say that not having read the final twist. So maybe the final twist is going to be super cool and I'll be glad that uh, it exists. So uh, at the end of the day, it's a fun series. Uh, one of the cool things about it is it's very new reader friendly. It doesn't tie into anything else that's going on in the DCU. So if you want to recommend something for a Green Arrow or an Aquaman fan or just somebody who wants to check out a cool DC comic, you can hand them this and they don't have to have any knowledge of anything else that's going on. So uh, okay, up next, we have the final issue of season one from Icon and Rocket, it's Gods and Monsters, written by Reggie, Reginald Hundland and Leon Chills. Doug Braithwaite does the pencils. We have inks by Andrew Curry for pages one through 10, 16 through 18, and 20 through 22. And then Doug Braithwaite inks himself on pages 11 through 15 and 19. Colors are by Brad Anderson, letters by Anvil Design. A couple of really great covers. We have the main cover by Taryn Clark, which is a really cool looking cover. And then there's uh, the Braithwaite Alex Sinclair cover where they're fighting the giant alien cockroach, which is uh, what um, what Rocket calls it, the, the uh, alien that's trying to kill Icon and has tricked her by shape changing into this teenage boy and taking her out to, uh, I don't know, watch submarine races. Isn't that what they, they do? Um, but anyway, she manages to, to hold her own long enough that uh, Rocket and Ziomara, or Icon rather, and Ziomara are able to get there. Plus, she gets a little assistance from uh, Static Shock along the way also. So this one is action-packed throughout. Um, I did appreciate that, I, uh, that Rocket wasn't necessarily just a damsel in distress, although she had been drugged and... Um, and this uh, alien has the upper hand, she's able to sort of get away from him. And it's not just, you know, again, damsel in distress to, to, to reuse that phrase. She's, she's more formidable than that. And she's smarter than that. And in a way, if I do, I'm a little disappointed that she went along with the guy. Cause I feel like she should have been smart enough to know that uh, he was up to no good. And, she knows that people are out to get her and for her to go with some stranger, I, I didn't really feel was the necessarily the best um, choice for her. Obviously you think about, well, you know, she's young and people make mistakes and sorry about that. Everybody. I'm not sure where it left off my internet cut out there momentarily. So uh, anyway, I was talking about icon and rocket and I was saying that, uh, I was just a little bit disappointed in how naive um, Rocket was to go with this this strange boy, you know, when she knows that she has people that are after her and 
I don't know. I just thought it was a little bit weird. But as I said, uh, Static does show up and and help her out, has a little bit of a crush on her. So I like that dynamic. Uh, I hope I wouldn't mind seeing them get together, but I hope it doesn't necessarily happen too soon. And there's a, a moment there where uh, there's a bit of humor and a funny character moment between uh, Static and, and Rocket. So uh, I appreciated that as well. So, yeah, there's a lot to like, especially the the line work. I mean, Doug Braithwaite has been absolutely fantastic throughout this series. Um, I mean, his his detail, uh, also the color work has been outstanding. So, you know, I can't really find any fault whatsoever in the uh, in the artwork in this in the series. It's been just just fantastic. And the inks by, by Curry or whether uh, Andrew Curry's doing the inks or Braithwaite is inking himself. Brand Anderson, obviously a very, very good colorist, oftentimes works with Gary Frank. So um, the only nitpick and it's real super minor is Ziomara and her league of ladies or, or whatever it is that, that, that it's called. Cause remember this is um, the Dakota universe in, uh, in the DC multiverse where, you know, Superman was killed as a, a very young infant and there aren't the same sort of heroes on, on this earth as there are uh, on a lot of others. Um, and it, it seems like it's a little more grounded. Uh, superhuman ability is a little more rare. Obviously, we have the bang babies and that's where a lot of this has come from. Icon is a, an alien rocket with technology to have the powers. But having all these other women uh, that are part of Zeomara's team show up in this one. Um, was a little weird. Like I, I, they not that they play a huge role in the story, but enough of a role that I kind of wish we'd gotten a little more of them before in the series. It would have made it when they show up here. Uh, I just don't feel like I have enough context. So, um, but maybe it's me. Um, maybe I'm just reading so much comics that I, I just don't remember. And I, and I feel like there's been some delays in this icon series. So it's probably, uh, you know, due to that, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit lost. Uh, but again, it's a minor nitpick. I know all I need to do is just go back and read this on one sitting and I'll, I'll really enjoy it. And it ends with some uh, intriguing plot threads getting started for season two. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um yeah, I think Icon and Rocket has been my favorite of the the milestone books. I mean, the other, it's a it's a good problem to have, right? They're all really really good. I mean, I'm talking, you know, maybe maybe a static and hardware are a 7 or an 8 and this is an 8 or a 9. So, it's not like there's a big drop off. They're all really really high quality books and I definitely recommend all of them. So, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next book. Uh, Robin number 12, written by Joshua Williamson. Roger Cruz does the pencils. Norm Ratman on inks. Luis Guerrero on colors. Troy Petrie does the letters. There's a fantastic Victor Bogdanovic cover. And then uh, a couple of variant covers. One of them is by Francis Manipal. See it there if you're watching me on YouTube. And then I don't know if I have. No, I don't have the other one. Um so yeah, this is a bit of a wrap-up issue. Uh, Damien and uh, Connor have a conversation about what's next for each of them. And we learn a little bit about what Roz found out from his mother, which wasn't, which wasn't much, honestly. And Damien goes to do what was hinted at in a, in a previous issue. He takes some Lazarus resin he heads back to Gotham City. He goes to the graveyard, and this is where we thought, oh, you know, maybe we'll get some, um, we'll get something good to come out of this, all this Lazarus resin and all this um, resurrection that has been going around in the DCU for the last year or so. Um, but ultimately, that's not how it goes down. Damien ends up confronting some of the parts of himself that are. Um, judged harshly let's say um but he does realize right away he's like i know you're just a lingering effect of my grandmother's magic got to be some kind of hallucination because they're standing out in the graveyard and this other version of him is not getting wet 
So give props to Damien for realizing that right away, except somebody forgot to tell Roger Cruz because in a couple of the panels, this hallucination has water dripping off of them. So yeah, uh, doesn't exactly make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But what's interesting is uh, who shows up in the graveyard as Damien is, he destroys the Lazarus resin. He's made his decision not to resurrect Alfred. And his mother is the one that shows up saying that, you know, you might not like it, but I do know you, you know, you're my son and I know you. And I, I but I, you know, I'm curious why you didn't use the Lazarus resin on, uh, on, on Pennyworth. And Damien says, well, because I know what it does to people. It puts this darkness inside you, and I could never do that to Alfred. Um, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't want me to, to do that. And so Damien at that point says, uh, he starts to walk away, actually, and his mother's like, well, maybe we could speak before you leave. And Damien's like, well, I know what you're going to say. You know, it, so you wanted me to be your weapon. You wanted me to be the best assassin in the world then let's do it. Let's cut to the chase. Let's stop all the talking you and me to the death, <laughs> right? That's what Damien thinks that she's there to try to run his life. And she's like, calm down, dude. Like, that's not at all what I, what I want. And Damien's again, very emotional. You know, obviously this was a, a tough decision to not raise Alfred and he's been through a lot recently. Um, and so he starts swinging and Talia's just dodging and not fighting back. And, um, she says, you know, you're right. You're right about all of it. Our family's been broken for so long. And that's what I've come to realize with what's been going on with mother soul and what's been going on with my father. And, you know, I do know you, you are my son. And I would like it if you came with me and stayed with me, not as a weapon, but just as my son. And Damien's surprised by that. Um, and so he does end up uh, going with her. Now, she does express some reservations about Flatline, um, and she's worried about the relationship that Damien has with Flatline, but Damien's like, oh, I don't care. Like, you know, any 13, 14-year-old boy would be like, eh, you know, you're going to go out and have a relationship and spend time with the girl you want. You don't really care what your parents have to say about it, and Damien's certainly going to, you know, follow that sort of logic. But what we do see is maybe his, uh, maybe his mom has a point. Because apparently, Flatline at one point stole Damien's heart. And I mean that literally, because <laughs> she's back with whoever her mentor is. I can't remember what his name is, Mr. Death or Dr. Death or whoever. Um, and she gives him Damien's heart in this like containment vessel. Um, and uh, he's all excited. He says, Lazarus resin is strong, but not as strong as the blood of the demon. So whatever he has planned for Damien's heart, probably not a good thing. Um, but it is interesting. Then there's a little bit of an epilogue with Mother Soul, Damien's grandmother, and Raz al Ghul. Uh, and she's talking to Raz, saying, you, you, you know, um, you understand now that the demon's been freed. It unlocks something that your science in the pits didn't. And the great Raz al Ghul is, is dying because a sickness comes for us all. So, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of bad stuff coming. And, and this is all to be continued in Shadow War Alpha number one, where we know it's in the solicits, Roz dies, and there's fallout from that and, and whatnot. So uh, curious to see how that all, all plays out. But more importantly, with this 12th issue, one, one year of, of Robin issues, Joshua Williamson did evolve Damien as a character. And it was one of the complaints that Rocky and I had, uh, I certainly had, I think Rocky mentioned as well. Um, at the beginning of the series, it felt like Williamson had taken Damien and and devolved him. Damien had become more mature, more uh, wise, uh, more patient, just a better person in a lot of ways. And all of a sudden, when Williamson started the Robin series, it felt like Damien was more of that bratty kid, uh, immature, do what I want, spoiled. Um, and I didn't like it because I, I haven't, I don't like that aspect of Damien. And that's why I don't care for the character that much. But a more mature Damien, um, who's more measured and is more introspective and just ex exhibits more wisdom, it is interesting to me. Uh, so I will give credit to Joshua Wimson that he has taken Damien from that de-evolution that it felt like at the beginning of the series and evolved him to where he was previously. 
and maybe even taking them a little bit past that. So I do appreciate that Damien feels more mature and more wise as we're finishing up issue 12 here. Um, so maybe just based on the character arc, Williamson had to go the other way, had to have him dealing with fallout from his relationship with Bruce and, you know, reverting back to a little uh, immaturity in order to, to make the arc seem more impactful. Maybe um, I, again, I'm, and I'm not the writer. I'm not going to second guess Joshua Williamson, but um, it, I'm glad that we, we've gotten there. We're, we're back to a more mature Damien. So now if you can just patch things up with his father, you know, we can perhaps uh, see a more interesting Damien because it, honestly, it's a cliche, right? This whole idea of Damien's going to grow up to be Batman, but a Batman who's a, a villain and all that. It's, it's just been done to death. It's, it's the same thing with John Kent, with the hints that he's going to grow up to be some villain and try to rule the earth and whatnot. It's just, it's boring and overdone, honestly. So uh, anyway, let's move on. Harley Quinn, number 13. I'll cover this one really quickly. Stephanie Phillips is the writer. Riley Rossmo on pencils. Jay Lysine does inks. Yvonne Placencia on uh, colors with annual design on letters. Basically, there's some other Harley Quinn, you can see her on the cover there. Um, and she has killed somebody. And basically the, the Harley we know is framed for it. Now it's not a huge surprise that this is not the regular Harley because when she pops up out of this cake, you can see her there. Um, it's uh, she's in the kind of the old school costume. Um, you know, the, the one that looks more like a court jester. And so right away I was like, well, that doesn't, I don't think that's Harley. And sure enough, it's, it's not. Um, but there is a video camera in this bar and the people that she is killing are criminals and, um, people that I don't want to say deserve it, but you know, they're, they're, it's definitely vigilantism, right? She's taking law into her own hands and people that would have been punished and have killed others and whatnot. So meanwhile, the regular Harley's doing what she does best, uh, you know, really acting the hero and she's, you know, uh, collecting food for people in need, uh, the food that's going to be thrown away from restaurants, high-end restaurants and whatnot. So she's uh, hanging out with Kevin back at her apartment and the police come knocking on the door saying, Hey, we have video of you killing somebody. And Harley's like, ah, that wasn't me. Well, obviously, I don't believe her, and she ends up in Blackgate Penitentiary because uh, I'm not sure where exactly this lines up with uh, Shadows of the Bat and Arkham Tower or whatnot. But being that Harley's been a, a hero for quite a while now, it's not exactly a fun place for her to be uh, in Blackgate Prison with all these other villains. So uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um it's a good series. You know, I think if you're a Harley fan, you're going to be enjoying it because there's still plenty of zaniness and goofiness. Riley Rossmo's art, while less stylized than it has been in the past, lends itself to that sort of balance between uh, zany craziness and some intelligence and maturity that uh, Stephanie Phillips is bringing to the story. So I talked a lot about it when I covered the last issue, and uh, I think it's continuing here. Um, and it's interesting and we're expanding on the supporting cast with a couple of, uh, detective, well, one detective and one plain clothes officer here who, uh, are the ones that decide Harley's behind these, uh, these murders and, uh, and have gone after her. So, uh, and they're able to tie these together because apparently this new Harley is removing people's eyeballs with a uh, ice cream scooper after she kills them. So pretty gruesome pretty gruesome so uh all right well that's harley quinn let's move on to task force z uh we're up to issue number six this is from writer matthew rosenberg jack herbert i think it's herbert it might be a bear it's h-e-r-b-e-r-t brazilian artist i believe uh adriana lucas on colors rob lee's on letters this is just so good <laughs> it's got a great cover there the bat and the furious with uh, guys hanging on, uh, guys from Task Force Z hanging on to the top of Batman's car as he's driving through the city. 
So it's a lot of fun. We get a little bit of a, a flashback uh, secret lab laboratory months ago. We learn a little bit more about how the uh, Lazarus resin came to be, had to do with resurrection man working on the formula bloom, a couple of other scientists and uh, we see how that all played out. We see uh, the, the origins of Task Force Z as far as how uh, Two-Face got involved. We see how Amanda Waller got involved. So about half the story here is flashback, giving us some context. And then the other half is Task Force Z just being screwed, basically. And uh, Two-Face uses those exact words, right? Because their lab is messed up. Um, they have managed to get a reprieve from Batman because after they rescue, I say that in quotes, Two-Face doesn't really rescue <laughs> Dick Grayson from KGBs. KGBs manages that, or uh, Dick Grayson manages that on his own, but there are some other people there and Mr. Freeze definitely helps out and Bane helps out. And it is cool to see Bane fighting with a knife sticking out of his forehead. Uh, but ultimately, uh, when they're heading back to the lab, Batman has tracked them and he, he tries to stop them. And there's a really cool character moment between Jason Todd and, and Bruce where Jason Todd's like, look, you sent me after these guys and you need to trust me to, to do the job. And Batman's like, but you're not doing the job. I didn't send you out here to work with Bane and Two-Face. You're making the wrong choices. And Jason's basically like, you got to trust me. You got to trust me that I, you know, trust my judgment. And you know, I know right from wrong. And so Batman is going to give him the chance. Uh, and it, I, I do find that interesting. And, and he, frankly, he should, because Batman's being kind of a dick here. Jason makes a good point. He's like, this is my city too. I've been hurt a lot. You know, part of that was because I didn't have a father. And then you came in and you were a father figure for me, but you weren't there for me the way I needed you to be, which, you know, maybe that's fair and maybe it's not, but he does, he does have a point. Like at some point, Batman's got to trust Jason Todd, he's the one that put him in this task force. Z. He's the one that wanted him to work with uh, this team. So, uh, but when they get back to their base, again, Two-Face is like, we're screwed. They're at a la uh, Lazarus resin. Their lab's been blown up. So they're trying to figure out how they can get more Lazarus resin and how they're going to pull themselves out of this mess that they're in. Because uh, like I said, all uh, Two-Face says is, you know, we're screwed, we're screwed, we're screwed. And even when he says to Jason Todd, are we screwed? He goes, Jason Todd says, almost, like almost, yeah. We kind of expected Waller to pull something like this. So they may have a backdoor uh, out of it. So th this has been a fantastic series. So much fun. So action-packed. The Jack Bear art is absolutely fantastic here. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a superstar in the making. It's, it's wonderful, very reminiscent of the Eddie Barrows art, fine lines and great storytelling, breaks the panels at just the right time. Just I'm, I'm really digging this series. Like this is another one of those where I don't feel like you need big knowledge of the DCU to enjoy this. You can read it and uh, enjoy it. And you don't need to know a lot about other stuff that's going on. I do find it interesting that it's, you know, apparently it's an ongoing because it does feel like this is a story that will have a beginning, middle and end. It feels like there's maybe three, four more issues to this. I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see it end around uh, issue number 10, but I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see, right. It, it's not listed as a, as a limited series. So maybe it keeps going after this, maybe suicide squad. We know suicide squads coming to an end. So maybe, you know, they're going to keep Task Force Z going to kind of take that spot. I don't know. But it's a fantastic series. Highly recommend it. All right. Up next, we have Action Comics number 1041. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Dale Eaglesham and Will Conrad are the artists. Uh, Lee Luffridge on colors. Man, those are super itchy. Uh, Dave Sharps on letters. Uh, and then we have the backup story that has uh, Martian Manhunter in it. Let me get you the credits for that real quick. Uh, let me see if I can find the credits for that. Um, written by Sean Aldridge. Adriana Mello is on art. Hi-Fi does the colors and Dave Sharp on letters. Um, the main story in Action Comics is entitled 
uh, a midnight's a midnighter's tale, and it it's definitely appropriately titled because we don't even get any Superman in the story until the last until one panel on the last page. So I'm not a big fan of that. You know, I've said before that I'm not the biggest Midnighter fan. So if I wanted to read a Midnighter comic, I'd read a Midnighter comic, but I'm reading action comics because I want to read about Superman. And I already have reservations about this uh, story. So I won't get into that uh, again. You know, the reasons for that, because I've I've talked about them ad nauseum at this point. Um, But there's, there's some good world building here and some cool ideas from uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, but it just bugs me when I don't actually even get any Superman in my Superman comic. So, um, I mean, it makes sense in terms of what's happening in the story. And I, I get that he's trying to build up the mythology for Superman and showing how Superman in the face of these overwhelming odds is an inspiring figure and all of that. But again, this is, this is not new information that I feel needs to be built up. So it, it's a little, it's a little tough for me to, to really enjoy this one. Um, sorry, this, uh, doing the, the new respect for Rocky doing the, the photos, uh, or the, the, uh, pages while talking about the books. It's not as easy as it looks. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I didn't really dig this issue. It, this issue was one of those issues for the story that just made me feel like, God, I, I want this to be over. I want this to be over. I want Superman to go back to earth or, or not. He could even stay in space, but at least give me Superman stories. And by that, I mean, I want stories with Superman where he's Superman, not Superman where he's depowered, wearing hardly any clothes in gladiator armor and doesn't even show up until the last page of the book with a sword and a shield talking about let's rescue some people like that's not Superman. It's not, it's just not like I get that it's the inspiration or whatever, but this is not something I'm interested in reading. So um, not going to stop collecting it. I'm not going to stop reading it um, because my action comics run is, you know, that's the collector in me, but uh, I'm ready for the story to be over. And I, I get that a lot of people are, are digging it and I'm really happy for you guys. And like I said, I'll read it till the end and uh, I'll be happy that it exists for the people that enjoy it. But again, I, it's just not for me. I don't want to read Superman as Conan the Barbarian. I just don't. So anyway, uh, the backup Martian Manhunter facing the crowd part five is interesting. We get a little more context about the vulture, um, which is this criminal gang that John Jones uh, suspects is tied in with the Court of Owls because they look so much alike. But it's clear there's something more going on than that. And Sean Aldridge also mentions how John has gone up against the, the vultures before, as well as some of these other uh, villains that show up here, um, Hugo Strange and uh, and whatnot. So, um I don't know how much of it ties in in the, in the aspect of, um, or I shouldn't say uh, Hugo Strange, Professor Hugo. Um, I don't know how much of it ties in with previous uh, Martian Manhunter series, um, but uh, the art is fantastic. I am curious about these uh, this vulture criminal gang, but it, the thing about this series is it just it feels weird because it doesn't have anything at all to do with the main series that's happening in action comics. So I wouldn't be opposed to a Martian Manhunter series, but go and give me a Martian Manhunter series and just stop with these backups. The backups are not working for me in terms of having to pay more for the the main book for a backup that's not related at all. Um, You know, at least the backup in Detective Comics was set in Gotham City and had somewhat to do uh, you could see some tie-ins or some parallels with what was going on in Arkham Tower. Not the case with Action Comics. So happy to to have it go away. <laughs> Honestly, I think there's um two more, or maybe it's said that there's uh th- that the finale was coming. Yeah, next the grand finale. So 
Uh, I don't know if that means we only have one more issue of Superman Gladiator. I hope that's the case, but I, I think what's more likely is we'll get one more issue of Action Comics with the backup. And then we'll have like a double size or a, uh, a full size Action Comics issue where, you know, all the pages, it'll be like 30 pages, but all the pages will be um, the, the final uh, battle between Superman and Mongol or whatever, some, something like that will go down. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, okay, up next, this is a really, really good one. Uh, it's Joshua Williamson's first Black Label book. It's entitled Rogues. Um, if you look inside uh, the front cover, there's a couple of different variant covers here. So uh, that one... If you're looking on eBay, I'm on eBay. If you're looking on YouTube, uh, $699, cents, Gorilla Grodd, holding up the car, Action Comics, number one, homage, pretty cool. Um, but anyway, look inside the front cover and get the uh, credits. We've got written by Joshua Williamson, drawn by Leo Max, colored by Mateus Lopez, lettered by Hassan Atzman Elhau. But what else is cool is you've got like a, a cast, you know, Leonard Snart is Captain Cold, Lisa Snart is Golden Glider so on and so forth. So I really did appreciate that. Letting everybody know who's going to be in the, in the book. Uh, this is the last rogue story, basically. That That's what this comes down to. Uh, we get a, a quick scene in a, in a rogue's bar to start off the series, and then we jump forward 10 years. And the rogues have not had a, a good time. They've been in and out of prison, working dead-end jobs, having trouble making ends meet, you know, the whole nine yards. And so, you know, having jumped forward those 10 years, um, it's tough. It's tough for them to make ends meet. And it gives uh, Joshua Williamson a chance to say, hey, here's the end of the road for the rogues, right? Here's what happens if you lead that life, you make those decisions, Things don't go well. And uh, what it also does is it allows the story to have a little more uh, impact in a lot of ways um, because these guys have gone through so much. Some of them aren't even alive anymore. Um, and, you know, having lived the life they've lived for so long and having things not go well, they're sort of in a place where it's like, well, we got nothing left to lose. So why not? take try to take one last big heist and that one last big heist is what leonard snart kind of gets the band back together for of course they're all on probation they're not supposed to be hanging out with each other let alone uh, using weapons or you know technology or any of that stuff but his idea is to steal the gold that is in the vault underneath gorilla city uh and in the 10 years since they've been active Gorilla Grodd has become head of the largest uh, criminal organization uh, in the world. So they're really taking on the big dogs here. Um, and they're not really up to speed. You know, they don't have that killer instinct anymore. Not that they used to be complete killers, but, you know, they at least they were a little more capable. Now they're rusty. Now they're not sure they're, you know, Maybe we can back out of this. Maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe we can go back and, and, you know, try to salvage something of the pathetic lives we were living. And Leonard Snart has other plans. Uh, he's not about to let that go down. And it's a, it's a brutal scene the way he, he sort of says, uh, nope, there's no turning back. It ends up being a, a very impactful, emotional, and um, not really brutal only because everything's frozen, so there's no blood. Um, but yeah, it's a very emotional, emotionally impactful scene. So uh, I was really impressed, really enjoyed it. Read it. I've read it twice. Uh, the art by Leo Max is uh, really tone perfect for the kind of the rundown uh, sad sack story that uh, that they're telling here about these villains who once were were colorful and larger than life and now are just sort of downtrodden and uh, things don't go well. Mateus Lopez's colors are very muted. 
Um, you know, it's not this bright, fanciful story. It's it's a little more sad and seedy than that. And the art by uh, the line work by Leo Max is uh, is excellent as well. So highly, highly recommend it. Um, probably my co-book of the week, along with the next uh, book I'm going to talk about, the last one I'm going to talk about here in a second. So definitely check it out. It's well worth your time, especially if you're a fan of Captain Cold or the rogues in general. All right. Last book of the week is Human Target, written by Tom King. Art is by Greg Smallwood. Letters are by Clayton Cowles, edited by Ben Abernathy. This is just a fantastic book. I cannot say enough great things about the career-defining, genre-defining artwork from Greg Smallwood. Like, it is stunningly good. And Tom King takes full advantage of it with some wonderful emotional scenes. This is a tough story. This is a tough thing that Christopher Chance is going through. He's dying. Um, And part of why he's dying is because he thinks, because somebody so close to ice, somebody that loved her so much, wanted revenge on Lex Luthor for killing her. But in the meantime, he's fallen in love with her. So there's all these conflicting emotions. There's all this angst. There's an over in the background hanging over Christopher Chance's head is this specter of his oncoming death and nothing can be done to save him. So it's just fascinating. It's a, com- it's a complex tale. It's a romance. It's mystery. It's crime noir with the best art I've seen in a comic maybe ever in my life. I just, the art is just continually stunning and it's not just the line work. It's the color work as well. It's the storytelling. It's the simplicity of the panels where uh, a lot of times Smallwood is doing less with more. He's just a master at letting our imagination fill in the gaps Um it's just fantastic. It's so fantastic. And again, credit to Tom King for knowing when to pull back. Tom can be wordy at times, but here he's letting the art do uh, what it what it's best suited for, which is to convey that emotion. And he, he gets out of the way. Now, all that being said, there is another aspect to this particular issue. And I know typically we go full spoilers but I don't want to ruin it for you guys because there is a scene in here where it's a holy shit moment. It's a holy shit scene. It's a, Oh my God, did that really happen? And it's fun. And again, this is a black label book. It's out of continuity. So you can do things like this and, you know, have it not count, but it's, it's kind of brutal. It's kind of brutal and it's kind of interesting. And it, it gives a little bit of a different context and a different feel to this issue and gives it a little more stakes, makes the the story feel a little more uh, important and impactful. So the only bad thing that I can say about human target is it's being divided up into two seasons. And I'm sure the reason for that is because it takes time for Greg Smallwood to put together this fantastic art. So I think it's going on hiatus. I want to say until September, So we're getting a few months off here and that just that I'm I'm not happy, happy about that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would rather have a big break and then have it come back and finish up, um, you know, in, uh, you know, six consecutive issues in six consecutive months. Like we got, you know, the first six issues in six consecutive months. I'd rather have that than have, you know, an issue here, an issue there, um, I just wouldn't like that. And I wouldn't want it to go bi-monthly. Like that's kind of what happened with bat cat and it, it kind of lost its momentum. So I'm glad that they're for that reason, I'm glad that they're taking the the time they need to make sure that it's done to the best of their abilities. Because again, the art is just absolutely fantastic, but yeah, it's such a great book. Of course I, I want it sooner than later. So, uh, but either way, my co-book of the week, just fantastic. Uh, That, along with the Rogues, you can't go wrong with either one. Really, really great. 
so there's a couple of collections this week that I'll mention as well. Three of them, we have Batman the Long Halloween, Catwoman When in Rome, the deluxe edition hardcover. And then and that Batman the Long Halloween, Catwoman When in Rome, I think is the sequel to the Long Halloween. So that's out on hardcover. And then we have uh, the Batman box set trade paperback, which collects a bunch of Batman stories that uh, helped inspire the Batman movie. And then we've got uh, Wonder Woman, Agent of Peace, Volume 2 trade paperback, which I think collects the most recent... Um, most recent run? No, I take that back. Uh, it collects Wonder Woman Agent of Peace number 12 through 23. So uh, if you're a Wonder Woman fan, you might be on the lookout for that. And then that box set, the Batman box set, collects Long Halloween, Batman Ego, and other tales. Batman Year One uh, as well. So um, that's it for the DC books this week. Don't forget, if you want to find out more about the trial of the Amazons or War for Earth 3, we did separate uh, spotlights for those. Rocky was able to join me. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Appreciate you joining as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.